0: I'm Patricia Grabarek, and I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, Patricia has an article for us, um, and I'd love to hear a little bit about the topic of the day uh, before we jump into our uh, conversation.
1: Yeah. So the topic of the day is pregnancy discrimination and the impact it has on mother and baby health. So it's a kind of a sad article, um, but... Important to know, and maybe we can stop being jerks and discriminating against pregnant people.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's such an important topic. And even though it is, you know, it stinks that so much that this happens and we need to think about solutions, we can't come up with those solutions unless we recognize and understand the problem. So it's really important to name the problem and be able to talk about the problem so we can find a solution. So I'm really glad that you picked this topic. And I haven't really seen a lot of research on pregnancy discrimination. So I'm really excited to know that folks are doing more work in this space as well so that we can do that, so that we can start having the conversation.
1: Totally. it hasn't been a huge research area, just looking at some of the literature review that they did. But I'm hoping that we can talk more about this and make an impact and I know we had, a, what was that, back when Allie Gabriel spoke with us about nursing mm-hmm, mothers. Yep. So there's a lot of research that's starting to be done more in this space. And I think it's really important. And it, maybe it's a generational thing, right? Now we have a bunch of younger women that are <laughs> doing research yeah. that really care about this topic that maybe would have been shunned before. So yay, yeah. yay for those women that are coming in and you know women men whoever's involved i know there's not just women doing this research but for the people that are being involved in this now i really appreciate them
0: yeah and there's also more women associate editors and the journal of applied psychology has a female editor for the first time in its 100 something year history it never jap never had a female editor before and now they have their first female editor in Lillian Eby. Um, and that's where this is published. (laughs) Yes. And there are a lot more people on the editorial board and serving as associate editors who are women and a lot more people who study diversity that are being put in positions of decision-making, uh, power about whether or not articles like this, um, get a shot. And I can say from experience that, the reviewers that you get when you're studying topics that are, even though pregnancy discrimination shouldn't be controversial, some people might think it is, right? And, um, you know, or the topics that we study around LGBT populations, you can get reviewers that have adver- adverse reactions to your paper because they don't like the topic um, in a way that's different from just writing a paper on, like, leadership or writing a paper on, um, you know, uh, stress at work or, you know, something more benign that people don't see as like a politicized topic. Um, so it matters a lot who the rev- who is likely to get asked to review. So having diversity on editorial boards is important. And then it matters a lot who's in charge of culling those reviews and making the call about whether or not to give the paper a chance because sometimes you get you know, one positive review and two negative reviews or two negative reviews and one positive review. And the AE has to make that decision about which way to lean. And if you're already negatively predisposed towards a topic or just don't think it's important, like who cares about breastfeeding because I've never thought about breastfeeding and I don't, I think it's fringy or whatever, then you might lean towards a more negative review. um, And that paper won't get a chance to get published because it's not given a fair shot. So I'm really excited to see a lot of women filling out these positions um, because I do think that it's impacting the likelihood that people will see these topics as important. And that, you know, changes the way people view the paper in general, whether or not it's making a contribution.
1: Totally. It does make a difference. I mean, everything we've talked about with diversity and inclusion initiatives and the importance of representation, I mean, obviously applies here it applies in the space of research and reviewing research projects in terms of journal articles and publications you know like the whole point is for us to do really good peer-reviewed research but if peers don't want to review the research in certain topic areas that makes a major problem and a huge roadblock so yeah it's super exciting to see more of this work coming through and being published more people that are of a variety of backgrounds in these editorial staff and uh reviewer staff as well so I think that's super important and I'm excited and excited to share this article that we can dive into a topic that's maybe a little less explored
0: yes yes and one other thing that I'll say that's really awesome that Lillian is doing at the at Journal of Applied Psychology is that um, she mentioned that people who are serving in leadership roles, like associate editors and people on the editorial board are likely gonna, going to have to go through some form of diversity training. Oh, wow. Well. So that they can recognize their own biases in the way that they write reviews or um, write up decision letters. Um, and I'm super excited about that because, and I'm sure if we talk to people that study pregnancy or breastfeeding or things like that, they'll have similar stories, but in the LGBT literature, like we've literally gotten people who ha- reviewers who have said like, well, who really cares? Like, isn't it only like twelve percent of the population that identifies as LGBT? So oh my what gosh. do we like? Why do we really need articles about this? Why don't we have articles about the other eighty-eight percent of the population? It's like because that's literally every other article. Like yeah. So so like then twelve percent of our articles should be about that, right? Like um. So but they they like say that, and if the AE is not amenable, that can that can become a comment that can sink a paper. And it shouldn't be uh, right. because it's ridiculous. But so I'm really excited that also there's like more of an eye for that, that people are going to be kind of held accountable for ensuring that they're not rejecting papers based on just like a negative reaction to the topic, but nothing to do with the rigor or importance of the research. So anyway, I know that that's long, but I am very excited about it because... <laughs> Um, I think it impacts a lot of what we do because we always summarize published articles, but there are tons of articles that never get published for a variety of reasons, sometimes for good reasons. But sometimes papers that are more out, that are out of the mainstream never get published because people don't view them as important, even though they are. Um, I'll say one more thing about that because maybe people are interested. but the very first paper on women leaders. Was rejected for in the 1970s. Was rejected from every journal that it got sent to, and oh my gosh. it finally it finally got published. Um, but it got rejected from the first three places. That uh, Virginia Shine is the woman that wrote it. Um, it got rejected from the first three places, and the feedback was, "No, who really cares about women in leadership? There aren't that many women leaders. Um, I don't think that there's any reason to think that women leaders would be perceived differently than male leaders." Um, and it was just totally like, no, this is not interesting, this is not important, and I don't think it's a real thing. And it spawned an entire like, think of how many articles we've looked at on gender and leadership or gender in the workplace. That was the first one. Yeah. Um, and it was just kind of like it took three it took four tries for someone to say, Oh, maybe this is something that could be interesting. That is I had not heard that story and that is absurd. And yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, we over, we still know that representation isn't great uh, for women in leadership, right? It's getting better over time, slowly, slowly, but not where it should be. And the idea that, well, because they're not there, we shouldn't study it uh, is ridiculous to me. It's like, well, but maybe they're not there because of something. There right, might be a right. reason
0: why. Like, right. Oh, uh, that's so yes. annoying. The paper was literally about how adjectives that people use to describe leaders align with adjectives that people use to describe men and not with adjectives that people use to describe women. And so when people try to pick leaders, they look for someone that has all these adjectives But those are not adjectives that people associate with women. And so they're less likely to be picked into leadership roles because people have this idea in their head of what a leader is supposed to be. And actually, those adjectives, as it turns out, don't actually end up adding up to what makes the best leader. Um, It's actually like a mixture of the male and female adjectives together that make a good leader. Um, So it's just like interesting that she was trying to raise a point of why women weren't in leadership roles. And they were like, oh, you know what? This isn't important because there aren't any women in leadership (laughs) roles. Like, yeah, we know. That's why. Um, So anyway, uh, but I'm just happy that more of this research is coming out. And I think it's a direct result of having more women represented on these boards, but also having more people on the boards who are interested in these topics and willing to, like, take the time to recognize how they're – life experiences might inform their reactions to papers and actually like learning from that and trying to overcome some of those things hopefully will help. Totally.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, I think you're right. I think it is a direct result. So anyways, it's super exciting. Um, love the topic and Yay. I'm excited to dive into it.
0: Yes, me too. Uh, just quickly before we get into, get into it, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right. So I've been like bracing myself all day on... You know, telling those of you that have been listening and caring about my journey with Nitney and her illness, um, we did lose her a few weeks ago. So, you know, every day is getting better, but it's been it's been sad in our
0: house. And for everyone who's listening, um, if you would like to send some words of encouragement to Patricia, I know she would love to hear from you too. So, um, you know, if anyone's listening, and uh, you know has ever had this experience or anything like that um we'd love to hear some words of encouragement I know we, we always are trying to uh provide uh words of encouragement for people and to uh promote wellness and um you know talk about emotion management and all of that kind of stuff but it's it's you know impossible to avoid hard times in your life and we have to do the same thing for ourselves too. So, um, this has been a, a really tough time. And, um, you know, obviously our, our, all of our best vibes and, and good wishes for you and Danny, obviously. Um, but you know, if anyone else out there wants to send along a word of encouragement, I know that that would also be appreciated because we all need it. Even people (laughs) who are experts on workplace wellness.
1: Oh, now you're making me cry. Yeah. Our little baby girl, like our, you know, so for those of you that haven't heard an episode, um, Nittany was our, our cat, that I got in grad school and, uh, she was my little baby, but thank you for that. And sorry for the sniffle into the mic. No. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been rough, but you know, we're working on it we're getting through it and I appreciate your words and your incredible flexibility during this time too so I really really appreciate that
0: losing a pet is one of the hardest things ever um and it's it's just like a really it's a really tough time when it's happening and it also like continues being hard for a while you know like I think just like with any like passing of anybody that's important to you a pet is an important part of your life and I think a lot of times people feel like it when you know you lose someone or an animal that's important to you it's kind of like people expect that for a couple days you'll be sad and then you'll just be like over it and I feel like it takes a long time to heal from these things and to like feel better and um, I know even my when my mom and dad lost their uh, pet our dog that was um, around since I was in high school um, it you know someone had suggested that I got that I get like a painting of a picture of our dog for my mom for Christmas after he had already passed for like almost a year and um my dad was like I don't think that would be a good present I think that would actually be really sad I think there's still need there still needs to be like more time and and that was a year later you know so I think it's just like a really hard thing that is always a little bit sad um and never really like goes away completely but um I'm here for you and we're and our hive I'm sure um is here for you too and uh Maybe it's helpful for people out there to also recognize that sometimes the experts in wellness also need some need a little nudge from the universe too, to to uh, to feel their best.
1: A little love. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I agree with you, though. I think it is very like time makes it easier. I don't think time makes any of it go away. Right. And like, yeah. I know I've heard a lot of people that have had um losses from you know a wide variety of losses whether pets family members what have you that seems to be a theme across the board mm-hmm. so you know we're we're doing okay uh and I know we'll just get a little bit better each time but hey like when we bring up my cat from when I was a kid growing up and like thinking about some of those moments I still get emotional and I think that's going to be the case for I'm also yeah. an extremely emotional person. So there's that, but, <laughs> but I think that's just normal. So yeah, trying to get through it. going to take deep breaths now so that I'm not like crying when we're talking about this article, but I'd ask you how you're doing and hopefully it's a little bit of yeah. a lighter note.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I think it's good for, um, I think it's good to have the full gamut of emotions, um, you know, uh, that. Folks can see that we have them too. So I think that that's don't feel bad. Don't don't feel like you have to apologize. Um, but <laughs> yes, I'm doing fine. Actually, everything is like completely just like a normal week for me. Um, I just got back from my first like work related work adjacent trip um, in um, Atlanta. So um, got back from there. Um, oh, my God. What day of the week is it? I got back from there two days ago. Um and it was hot down there. <laughs> very, very warm. Uh, but I, um, you know, we got a lot of work done, but then also ate really good food. And we walked 50 miles. That's so During our much. trip, which is so crazy. So much. Um, I know. Because we were staying in this, um, like, Airbnb-type, like, condo thing that was, like, About two miles from like the center of the town. So every time we went for dinner or back, we were always walking like four miles. Um, And it was hot and like hilly and whatever. So anyway, I was like, I can't believe that we walked 50 miles. But we did, which was kind of, I mean my feet hurt really bad every day. And now I realize why. (laughs) Yeah,
1: totally. Well, but you're a champion. I mean, in that heat too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I would have given up at some point. (laughs) Yeah. We were like, our feet hurt. I feel like we're getting old. And then like, and then like, we, I was like, check your iPhone and see how many miles we've walked. And we were like, what the hell? We were like, <laughs> we've walked 50 miles. No wonder our feet hurt. Like, this is a- <laughs> We walked a lot. But, um, so it was a good, it was a good trip. Very active, uh, trip and, um, happy to be back, but also had a good time. So that's basically it. That's in a nutshell what happened. Yeah. Um, but, traveling but anyway, again, which is fun. Yes. I know the first, first trip back, um, back out there. And, in- in the traveling game. Yep. Um, but anyway, we should kick into the article. So yes, can you tell us what the article is? Like who wrote it, the title and all that, and then like kind of give us the high level of what's going on? Yeah, for
1: sure. So the article is called Examining the Effects of Perceived Pregnancy Discrimination on Mother and Baby Health. And it's a bunch of ar- um, authors, so... <laughs> <laughs> bear with me as i probably butcher names as always but <laughs> i apologize to all the authors your work is great so it's written by hackney daniels paustein underdaw paraway mandeville and eton and, and it was published nice. uh officially this year it was online in 2020 but the The article was officially published this year in 2021 in the Journal of Applied Psychology. So as we talked about, this is the journal where we've got a lot of female leadership now, which is great. And it's actually published as a research report, which means it's a little bit of a shorter, more streamlined article in some ways for us to talk
0: through. Cool. And I know Sam and Asia that are on this paper, and they're both fantastic. Um, And actually, I'm starting to work on a project with Sam, Pasty, and Underdahl soon, so... Well, there you go. And that's yeah. how you say the name. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so go ahead. What's the um, what's the uh, kind of kick kick us off here? Yeah. So this article,
1: um, there were two studies within the article about perceptions of pregnancy discrimination and then how it impacts uh, a couple of different health. Measures. So, just kind of in their literature review, just to kind of give you a high level overview of what they were talking about, they were talking about how there's a number of studies that have suggested that a lot of women are worried about pregnancy discrimination and that they're right in being worried about it because there's actually, uh, they listed there were over 50,000 pregnancy discrimination claims that were filed with the EEOC wow. and the Fair Employment Practices Agency. Um, in the past decade. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, it's quite a lot. So it's happening a lot. People are feeling it a lot. They're claiming, um, I mean, if you're filing a claim, like that means all the other options are away from you, right? You haven't been able to work through it with HR. There's a problem and you're going to the government to help. And so that's really disappointing to see that humongous number, um, And so to define pregnancy discrimination, it's basically defined as by the EEOC um, in the U.S. as unfavorable treatment of women at work due to pregnancy, childbirth, or medical conditions related to pregnancy or childbirth. So it's pretty broad. Unfavorable treatment can Mm -hmm. probably be interpreted in a lot of ways. But it's basically just when they're talking about it a little bit more and like how they measure these types of things. It's things like hostile behaviors, like being isolated, um, socially, uh, people applying negative stereotypes, people being rude or negative,
0: things like that. Okay. Gotcha. So it's not necessarily like I didn't get hired or I lost my job or something like that. It's more like incivility type behaviors that they're looking at.
1: Yes. So in this study, that's what they're, they're looking at. Um, but it's also all self-reported, so I'm sure right. that there are some of these behaviors, the discrimination behaviors that are filed in terms of EEOC complaints. There probably sure. are things like that where people aren't getting jobs or what have you.
0: Sure, that makes sense. So um, the context is that there are a lot. There seem to be a lot of issues uh, around uh, mistreatment in pregnancies. Some of those may be around hiring, firing, lack of promotion. Others may be hostile work environment. But in their specific study, what they're looking at is. Uh, how they're defining discrimination is more of these like um, uh, uh, interpersonal behaviors and less like structural.
1: Yep. Yeah. Like perceived, okay. perceived prejudice, perceived discrimination, things like that. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So this study also just kind of is for context in addition to what I just described. You know, there's a lot of medical research, as you can imagine, that, that indicates that maternal... Um, health like is impacted by stress so stress during pregnancy can often have some negative health consequences for the mother and also leads to poor outcomes for the baby so there's already research on that on just stress in general having an impact on mothers and babies um, And okay. i will also just as a caveat to uh for everyone listening you know this the studies here m- I'm pretty much just looking at pregnant women so want to make that super clear too that there's obviously a miss here in terms of what we think about representation mm-hmm. right right, um, right right it's not not only women are pregnant but in this right. case all the studies here are about pregnant women gotcha
0: gotcha okay cool so um so when People experience this uh, discrimination. You mentioned that there's uh, an impact of stress on health. Um, What are the sorts of outcomes that they're interested in in this study as they're looking at what I'm guessing they're thinking of as a form of stress, which would be experiencing pregnancy-related discrimination at work? Yeah,
1: so exactly. Pregnancy discrimination would be considered the stressor, uh, something that's obviously creating a negative environment. Negative treatment for the person um, in work that would lead to stress. So what they did is they actually measured perceived pregnancy discrimination, um, which included questions like prejudice towards pregnant workers exists where I work, um, perceived stress. So in the last month, how often you felt nervous or stressed? They asked a number of questions about that, um, and then so those are the two things they asked first. So in the in study two is probably the, the more robust study. So I'll just kind of talk about that one more. They had a mm-hmm. first survey that talked about pregnancy discrimination. So that's all they asked them and like demographics and all that kind of stuff. The second survey was about perceived stress. And then the third mm-hmm. survey was actually after the baby was born. And in, those, in that area, they asked them about postpartum depressive sy- symptoms. Um, they asked about the APGAR score, which I'm not going to spend mm-hmm. a ton of time on that because it didn't turn out as... Anything, mostly because there was very little data because people didn't remember their APGAR scores okay, for their babies. Okay, gotcha. Um, but basically that's a score that has like, it's a numeric score um, that physicians provide that give an assessment of the newborn's health. But most people didn't yeah. know that. So kind of not helpful Get for the more. study. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then they looked at gestational age. So how many weeks um, pregnant was the mother when she delivered the baby? Mm -hmm. Um, birth weight, and then the number of doctor visits. So how many times does a person have to bring their baby into the doctor, um, in the first two weeks after birth?
0: Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Um, so that sounds good. So they're looking at these health related outcomes as a function of stress that stems from these discriminatory experiences. Exactly. Yep.
1: Awesome. So
0: pretty straightforward
1: findings. Uh, basically everything (laughs) worked the way you would expect it to. So women that experience pregnancy discrimination have more perceived stress. And then that stress leads to more symptoms of postpartum depression. Um, It leads to having giving birth at an earlier gestational age. It led to lower birth rate and more doctor visits um, Mm. for the baby.
0: Wow. Did they that? I mean, that's that's really really interesting those health outcomes and we don't often see biological health outcomes measured as much in our literature so I I really think that that's cool that they gathered that data Mm -hmm. um did they control for negative affect by chance Ooh, that's a good question I don't remember them doing that uh they may not have but I'm just curious like um if it's because you could I guess make the case that like Oh, someone's, like, generally in a bad mood, so they're going to perceive more bad stuff, and then that's going to make them more stri- – you know what I mean? Like, I wonder – I was just wondering about that.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: not that I think that that's what's driving it, but I was just curious if they, like, looked at the effects over someone's, like, general disposition towards feeling more negatively.
1: No, they, um, they didn't have that, but they did have a lot of things they looked at, so they looked at um, – Like how old the person was that gave birth, Mm -hmm. um, how long they've been in their organization, how like their average hours on the job, if they're married, Mm -hmm. their race, education level, job level. So like non-manager versus like a senior leader. um, Gotcha. Income, other children that
0: they might have. So they looked at all of those other factors. They controlled for a ton of stuff that would impact stress already. Yep. Um, Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I think that this is really fascinating because, um, you know, when people mistreat people at work, I will, first of all, when you're mistreating someone, you're not really taking the other person's perspective anyway. But I don't think that people would really ever make that connection That you're not just harming the person, but you're actually harming a baby. (laughs) Uh, And like, I think that that's actually really important to say like, okay, this is a stressor for this person if I'm acting this way. And it's not just something that's affecting one person. It's something that's also affecting two people. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. ultimately it ends up affecting two people. So um, I don't think that people would really think that or be aware of that and make that connection. And it's obviously extremely important because it's like a double impact of this negative behavior, right? Yeah, I think that's really important. And like, I wish that
1: um, maybe just discriminating against the woman that is pregnant is bad enough, uh, but if that can't convince you to stop being a jerk, like think about the baby. You know, like yeah. let's let's try right. to think bigger picture here. Uh, and we did talk about research before about. Um, like helping behaviors. I don't know if you remember that article. Yeah. yep. Like how helping when you help pregnant women in the workplace, uh, how are you helping them? And is it actually perceived as a good thing? Because sometimes we're condescending and we act like they're not competent anymore and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the same thing, right? Like sometimes there's ways that people are treated maybe they're isolated from things because they're pregnant and people think they're doing a good thing but they're still discriminating against them right so I think we need to be really careful as to how we're treating people uh regardless of their situation in life at the moment right there's no reason why women that are in uh that are you know with child pregnant well, i don't know why i'm having a hard time saying that but um, <laughs> pregnant women uh, are about to bear life <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's no reason why we should be treating them any differently than we were treating them the month before they got pregnant like it doesn't yeah. make any
0: sense And I think if you create a more inclusive environment for women and, you know, and around gender in general and for, you know, discussing pregnancy and make it just more inclusive overall, you know, the idea would be that you assume that the person is able to do their functions of their job. And then hopefully if there was some issue or problem where they were feeling uncomfortable or, you know, they did need a different chair or something, that you would have an environment where the person could bring that up to you. So instead of making an assumption like, oh, let me do this or let me do that or let's not talk to this person about this or they probably don't want to be bothered with this. That you could just have an open dialogue and know that if the person really does need some kind of an accommodation that they'll just tell you and then you can make that accommodation but like not presupposing that a person like can't do anything because they're pregnant and that stresses them out more because it, it in this instance might be perceived as you know hey I'm being treated differently and negatively because I'm being kept from things or being kept from opportunities or information um, so that's problematic. Totally. I think that's a good
1: point, And it's actually when I literally wrote down. <laughs> that's oh, what I take awesome. away. I was like, we need to be making safe spaces for open dialogue. Uh, so that's yeah. exactly what I was thinking about as I was reading this too. It's, you don't want to make an assumption on how the person is feeling, what they need, what has changed. Uh, you know, you can be there for support. You can, even say like let me know how to support you during your pregnancy right right right. you don't have to like hide and not talk about pregnancy but you right right just need to be able to keep it open and allow the employee to come to you if you're a leader and get the help they need versus you assuming they need more help than they maybe did before. So I think that's really important. Same with team members, you know, don't assume anything there. Right. I think sometimes people will like take on more work themselves because they don't want to put on somebody else, but don't do that. Like let that person have the workload they normally had and then decide if they need help somewhere. Right. Like let them make that decision. Um, I'm definitely going to link to that study about helping pregnant coworkers because I think it's super relevant here. But the other thing, too, is we need to think as, as organizations on how we can make sure that our leaders are understanding how to support uh, pregnant people at work. So I know we do a lot of diversity, equity and inclusion trainings with a lot of organizations are doing them right now this could be a part of it. Like there's, I I feel like we don't talk about it in those types of trainings. True. And we talk about like gender broadly, but we don't talk about, uh, you know, pregnancy and how that, ties into all the different areas. So I think that that's something that's kind of missing. And maybe we need to be talking about more. I mean, maybe you and I should be implementing it as we're doing training too. Yeah. uh, Because I think it's really easy to, well, it's only a period of time. So people just kind of don't think about it. Right. But it is an important period of time that can have a big impact. And usually when uh, people come back to work, they might still be breastfeeding. There might be other things still, you know, obviously there's now a new member of the family that they're taking care of. There's like all these other things. So, It doesn't really go away as soon as birth happens, right? There's still other things that might kind of continue from a discrimination perspective. So I think we need to be thinking about how we're training people to support mothers and pregnant women and pregnant people in the workplace.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it really does fall under the diversity umbrella. But I really haven't seen trainings that cover that. I see trainings that cover like... Like legal trainings for HR that cover like Pregnancy yeah. Discrimination Act and things like that. But I don't see that as something, as a topic that gets covered more informally of, you know, what are some of the assumptions that people make. Um, there are, there's content like that, and you know this because we've delivered this content, but content like that around individuals with disabilities that, you know, the research shows people tend to talk to people That have disabilities with, uh, you know, in like a babyish tone. They make assumptions about what they can and can't do that are erroneous. They see them as like weaker or less capable. So, um, some of these same assumptions that the research shows people make about individuals with disabilities that we do sometimes talk about in diversity training are also relevant um, in the context of being pregnant. And so, I think that that's a really good call out that we should be incorporating some of those things um, into the diversity training in, the, in a similar way that, you know, someone's body may be changing or, um, you know, there may be physical differences, uh, between what they used to, uh, look like and what they look like now, but that doesn't mean that their mind is any different or their capabilities have changed. Exactly.
1: Yeah. I was, as I was reading it, I was like, mm, we probably need to add this. So it's like note yeah, to self for <laughs> sure. time to yeah, add definitely. this for sure. Uh, Yeah, so I think that's also really important. And then the final thing, just thinking about that 50,000 cases number is really, really huge. And it also is super disappointing because not only does that mean that discrimination is happening a lot, because it's happening more than those 50,000 cases, of course, Mm -hmm. but it also means that systems within businesses are failing to address that. So that makes me really sad. And I was like, we need to be thinking any HR leaders that are listening, like, how can we create effective reporting mechanisms that actually drive change and resolve the issue so that we're not adding more stress to the pregnant people? Because if they're coming in and they're reporting something and there's like this huge process, if they're going to the EEOC, N- odds are baby's born like before anything right. gets resolved right. right so then now you've added you've, the stress is just compiled and it's continuing postpartum and now we're yeah. just making this problem even longer so we need mechanisms within hr to like actually address the situation quickly swiftly and then let the pregnant person have a better pregnancy
0: so that some of these outcomes yeah. don't happen totally That makes perfect sense. Um, I think that that is really, really good takeaway. Um, And just, you know, in addition to, you know, creating this environment to create a structure um, that really supports and undergirds being more inclusive is important because that will provoke those positive interpersonal behaviors.
1: Yeah, they would. They totally would having that structure in place. So anyways, those are the things I was thinking about for takeaways. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else that came to your mind, but I think those are the key ones. No,
0: I think that's awesome. And I really hope that, um, you know, organizational leaders are listening to this and start to think about both structurally and interpersonally how they're supporting an inclusive environment for, uh, you know, pregnant individuals in the workplace. And also that, um, you know, if you are listening to this and this never occurred to you uh, because you have never been pregnant um, and haven't really, you know, thought about what assumptions you might have about individuals who are pregnant, this would be a really, uh, you know, good self-reflection Um, And thinking about what the assumptions are that you're making. And I thought you had a really good way of saying it before that you can say, you know, let me know what I can do to support you. But not making assumptions about um, how people need to be supported and also um, not proactively behaving hostily, obviously, uh, is is a positive takeaway. So really seeing yourself with clarity and thinking about how your past behaviors have been and committing to doing better. Agreed. And I think... The self-awareness piece, I mean, don't feel bad about it either,
1: right? Like, obviously, if you were a jerk, I'm going to let you feel bad about that. But (laughs) if it was something benevolent, like take this as a learning and take away. I mean, we just talked about how we need to add this into our diversity trainings that we're running. So I think it's totally reasonable to, as we always talk about when we talk about bias, it's totally reasonable and fair that you may not have noticed that you had these biases. But now that we're making you aware, think about it and fix it that's all we're asking (laughs)
0: make it better now so I think that's perfect yeah so that's a wonderful takeaway and a great way to wrap this up and I'm so glad that you brought up this topic because um we can't you know solve issues around mistreatment of others unless we recognize that it is an issue and so I'm glad that you raised this and that hopefully it starts a dialogue within our hive to that effect Agreed. Well, thank you all for listening. As always, we'd love to hear
1: your stories. Um, hope you don't have any discrimination stories if you have been pregnant in the past, but if you have, please feel free to, to share them. We're happy to support you too. Um, if you're navigating this today or might be in the future and want to talk, always here to hear your stories and would love to see uh, what you've been facing and experiencing as well. You can always reach us on our email at contact@workerbeing.com. At you can find us on our website, workerbeing.com. And best interactions are on social media. So you can find us at Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook at WorkerBeing. And as always, subscribe, share, and review the show. Thanks for listening. The WorkerBeing podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and
0: Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson we